Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, we'll have an examination of verses 12 through 24 as the banquet, we might say, as the banquet continues, as we saw last week, I've entitled the message, Excuses, Excuses, Excuses. Comes to us again from the Doctor's Gospel, chapter 14. Well, all of us seem to have a natural ability to make excuses when we fail. I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, and you say, if you deny it, you're a liar. I know that. But <clears throat> it really comes from our first parents. Remember when God said to Adam, 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 what did you do? And he's doing this. <laughs> he's like, you gave me, okay? So you go like, where did this come from? Right there, look in Genesis 3, and you're a sad-looking cousin, uh, uh, grandchild, and then all of us are cousins, uh, not kissing cousins, but uh, that's where it comes from, and uh, we have that tendency to make expression. Now, how about the expression, the dog ate my homework, right? I mean, I actually did have that happen one time. Well, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But we, we laugh at that and snicker at that, and we go like, well, that's cute, you know, yeah, you don't have your math done here. But really, it ought to prick us in our heart because it really shows up our, uh, the natural ingrained tendency we have to blame shift and to make excuses for ourselves and for our failures, avoiding responsibility. Boy, we are. <clears throat> One day when I was a teen, I don't know, I was thinking what, the age, maybe 13, maybe 14, something like that. And uh, my father asked me about something. I, I, and you know what? It's funny about that. As I was thinking about it, I couldn't remember what the issue was. But I remember my father's response. <laughs> and he goes, uh, and I, I gave my, my spiel, right? And he looked at me for a second. I remember him standing there. And he goes, and I, have a, I think you put it on your sheet there. Yeah, he goes like, you must think I'm stupid. <laughs> now, I mean, that's quite a, I, he'd never said anything like that to me before, you know. Like, uh, and it just, I think my jaw hung open. And, uh, and then he followed up with, Do you think I was born yesterday? And I go like, yeah, probably not. You know, like, <laughs> Holy cow, get over here. I remember that. I, and I have no idea what it was about, but it left such a, an impression upon me, his, his response. Uh, holy cow. Billy Sunday, that great evangelist, he's, you know, he's a professional baseball player, was wonderfully saved, and 100 years ago became an evangelist, and uh, uh, he did all kinds of things we probably wouldn't seem appropriate today. Like what, you say? Like, well, in some of his meetings, he would actually, to, to get people's attention, he'd take a chair that was up on the platform and smash the chair. He said, well, that's just the cost of doing business. I don't know. I mean, it, and, but many, many people walked the uh, sawdust trails. That's where that came from, a lot of that expression, D.L. Moody and, and Sunday. But uh, uh, Billy Sunday once said, an excuse is a skin of, of reason a skin of reason stuffed with a lie. Well, that's, that's not bad. That, that really is not bad. While still at dinner, Jesus spoke of God's future banquet and invites all people everywhere to join God's table. Listen, folks, God has promised to give his people a feast. Don't you love feasts? I was thinking about that, some of the great banquets. When I was a little kid, I played whatever sport it was. And PAL Basketball, any of you play PAL Police Athletic League? They sponsored, yeah, they sponsored. And, and, and Pop Warner, he was in charge of it. The old guy with, oh, uh, he was, 
he was like uh, the granddaddy of the city, and we'd get all these guys, and then now boys, we're going to have a banquet now. He'd say, oh, there's hundreds of boys at the end of the season. All the trophies are up front. We're going to eat, we're going to be polite, we're going to be gentlemen, you know. <laughs> and I, that was my first exposure to a banquet. Had I been more involved with our church, as, uh, because my dad wasn't saved in it, we, we, went, we occasionally go to Sunday school picnics, but that's different. And then the banquet that really stands out, and really was a banquet dinner, is when our Sarah got married. I remember there uh, looking at, some of you were there, and thinking like, holy cow, I never had a, a, a dinner where I paid for so many people to eat. <laughs> it's, it's a, they're all eating, and they're all, they seemed happy anyway, and it was uh, quite a banquet, and uh, it, was, it was just wonderful. It was one of those times, you know, uh, just to rejoice and be happy at banquet. Well, God has promised to give his people a great banquet, and you should know it's used a lot of times, and, and I don't teach that much, but it's used almost in Scripture as a metaphor for eternity in heaven, that we're going to be able to sit and eat at God's table. Now, how many of you remember Mephibosheth? If you can say it, you get an extra quarter from me, but Mephibosheth, how many you remember that? Yeah, who was he? he? Whose son was he? Saul's son, and what was his uh, ailment he had? That's right, yeah, he had a problem with his feet. He was the lone survivor of Saul's family, and when David became king, he looked all around for, for uh, someone in Saul's family that he could be kind to, and in, and because a lot of times when the next dynasty came in, you wiped out all the cousins and sons and everyone else, so no one else could have claim to the throne, not David. He was a man after God's own heart, and he found Mephibosheth who was sort of hiding, because they all knew the game. They knew how that went, you know, another dynasty, another guy's in charge, you know, someone who knew not Joseph, right? David invited him and provided portions for him to eat at his table every day until he would die. Well, that's a sort of a picture of what God does for us. I mean, in heaven, it's the feast of God, it's the banquet. I think we're, we're actually, the marriage feast of the night, we're going to actually sit down at that, but then it's a picture of, of glory where we're going to have the banquet of God, the re wedding reception of God forever and ever. Now, you can check it out. It's the hope of the Old Testament saint. We don't have time to look at it. But you read Isaiah 25, and he uses those very words of a feast, particularly verses 6, 7, and 8, and you'll discover that God is planning to give his people a feast, an eternal feast. And yet, you know, isn't it true that many refuse to enjoy God's invitation to dinner? Now, that's, that's an amazing thing when you think of it like that, right? I mean, don't we, who doesn't like to eat here? Raise your hand. Right? Don't, you don't like to eat? Oh, we're, you don't like to eat? Maybe you need more practice, Steph. A little bit more. And I wish that some days I wish I had that problem, really. But uh, eating, right, is, is usually so uh, wonderfully enjoyed, you know, and the expression like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't call you. I don't care if you don't come, but just don't call me late for dinner. You know how many times we say that? Dinner, don't call me late for dinner. What a wonderful. And yet many, God rings the bell. I mean, it's another way, a metaphor, thinking about the gospel in heaven and glory and home and forever. There's a banquet God is serving, and people go, no, I'm not, not, re no, not really interested. No, I've got much more important things to do. You do? 
Like what? You know, I, I, it, uh, take a note here. Uh, I'm your creator, and I provided a redeemer. And there's a great banquet, and in fact, it'll go on forever. Now, what are you doing that's so important? Uh, that's right. And that's, that's the imagery that Jesus is going to present for us here today. This banquet, this ancient symbol of salvation, if you will. God desires to have fellowship with his people. That's a mind-bogger to me, that God would want to have, enjoy fellowship with me. And more than that, he desires to satisfy his, his own with good things. It blows my mind when I think about it. Wow. Well, while still at dinner, Jesus spoke of God's future banquet, invites all people everywhere to join God's table. That's what's going on here. Two conversations here at this house of this Pharisee, this leader, two conversations by Jesus teaching us of God's generous invitation to sit at his table <clears throat> I like it better throughout eternity. I changed it there even this morning. Not in eternity, but throughout eternity. For God has promised uh, to give his people a feast. And yet again, I remind you, many refuse to enjoy God's invitation to dinner. Well, now there are two invitations. Uh, there are two conversations. <clears throat> Jesus now going to... I just remind you that uh, he has already talked to the Pharisees. He walks into the door, we said last time, like an appetizer. There right in front of him is a person with edema, a dropsy. He's got he's retaining fluid. He's in a terrible situation. His organs are in failure, and uh, it's the Sabbath day. And what does Jesus do? Jesus takes the initiation. He moves right towards it. He asks a couple of questions. Is it right to do good on the Sabbath? And uh, they couldn't answer. He, they showed their inconsistency. And he heals the man instantly. And then he sends him on his way. He doesn't even eat the meal. How about that? Probably wasn't invited. We suggest that he was a plant. They were trying to trip him up again. That's what they were doing. Okay, so the Pharisees there at the dinner, they're offended. Then he looks around, next thing, and he sees, and there's probably, you know, I don't know how many, 30, 40, 50 people. So this is a big, big deal. Maybe more. And he sees everyone kind of jockeying for position. You know, in that day, it wasn't just sit anywhere, you know. It was where you sit near the host, they're the seats of the honor. Uh, the, the U-shaped table, they're all lounging back. It wasn't a high table, low table, sitting on cushions, typically in that day. U-shaped, the host is in the middle, probably the wealthiest guy in town. He's a Pharisee, he's a leader. And then to the left of him is the seat of honor. To the right of him is the second seat. And then the pecking order goes all the way back. And people are sort of jockeying, leaning on their area that they want to, they you know, because they're really, you know, they're really highfalutin and that kind of thing. And uh, the Lord notices that. And uh, he talks about where they ought to sit. They ought to take the lower seat, humility. And so uh, he sort of offends not only the Pharisees by healing on the Sabbath, now he's offending all of them as they're jockeying for position, but the Lord doesn't stop there. And today we're going to look at the final things of this meal, for the Lord is going to now uh, offend the host. I mean, whatever you do, my mother would say when we visit, you wipe your feet, take your shoes off, they're wearing no shoes in there, and yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, you, uh, you ask 
Uh, in fact, you're better off just sit there. Don't say much. <laughs> that it's like the proverb, right? Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps his mouth shut. <laughs> just sit there. Don't say anything. If let's say say so. You know that kind of. Th well, here's Jesus. That's when we were visiting someone's for dinner or something like that. Here's the Lord now, and he's going to turn to the host. And that's the first conversation. The host, and Jesus urged him to be godlike, if you will. And God invites the disabled, the disadvantaged, and the downtrodden to his table. And uh, so he's looking at the guest list. He's reviewing it, looking over his shoulder, if you will. And he's going to make some suggestions. You invited the entirely the wrong people here. How about that? This is uh, no small thing. Well, seemingly, a as I've already said, Jesus already offended the Pharisees when he healed the man with edema. Uh, he's also offended all the guests when he rebuked them for jockeying for social positions at the table. But he's not done. Now he turns to the host and he comments on the guest list. No doubt his guests were among the wealthy, the powerful. I mean, they were the movers and shakers. They were the red carpet people. <laughs> we all know what that is, right? Red carpet. <laughs> I mean, anyone who was anyone was on that list. And Jesus looking over his shoulder and going, mm, 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 not good. Invited the wrong people. Wait a minute, this is the biggest highfalutin social event this town's ever seen. And you're a traveling itinerant preacher, and boy, we're here. This is something. No, you got the wrong people here. And so be. Jesus tells him who he ought to invite. How about that? Who he ought to invite. And, 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 and directly says, and you're, you really should invite no one who has any possibility of returning the favor. And to make his point, he uses hyperbole. Let's, let's, uh, let's go to the text and, and read beginning at verse 12. And Jesus also said to the man who had invited him, that's the host, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot pay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Invite, he said, who you should invite. Invite those who can't, cannot return the favor. Uh, impossible for them to do that. No tit for tat. None of that. Um, for each one of these that you're inviting, oh, they'll return the favor. And, uh, and what is that? That's, it really, essentially, could be called selfish. And so he uses a, a hyperbole. Now, hyperbole is a type of uh, a grammatical uh, device that uses exaggeration uh, with, a, with a purpose to make a point. Now, exaggeration can be lying. You know, a lot of people do that. They overstate or understate. But you can use it as a literary device to make a point. And, and the Lord is doing that right here. He's saying, listen, next time you do it, you, you are forbidden to invite your family, and don't, you are not allowed to invite your friends to this. You know, that, I mean, the reason is, is if they invite you back, that's simply civility. It's a social customer manners, but it's not really love. It's not selfless, is what he's saying. Now, Jesus is not forbidding our eating with family and friends. Don't get that idea. 
Don't, don't get it. Because he often does that. We see that in the text. We see the early disciples in Acts 2. The, they, they shared and they ate together there at Pentecost in the weeks and months after that. Uh, and that was a, a great time for family and friends. But uh, he's using it as an intended uh, uh, exaggeration to make a point because for many people, uh, that's as far as their hospitality goes. Family. We do this with family, that's all we do. And our cup is full and we never have room for anyone else. And the Lord is saying it shouldn't be that way. In essence, you ought to broaden, he's saying really here, broaden your guest list to include at times folks that have no possibility of being able to reciprocate the kindness that you've showed them. That's love. The other, again, can be construed as being selfish. Again, he's not saying don't invite your family ever and all of that. No, he assumes that. It's similar to another place where the Lord says, if you do not hate your father, hate your mother, uh, then you cannot be my disciple, remember? It, it, again, it's, it was an idiom of, of comparison it was a statement, an intended statement. We know that we are not to ever hate our fathers and mothers, but if we love them more than we love God, we've made an idol out of mom and dad. See, That's the point, that we are to love and honor God, and he has the number one spot, and, and everyone else is after that. And after that, then we love them and honor them. You see, that's what he's saying, for, to, to make a strong point to get our focus, to hit us in the head with a two-by-four, which often we need, don't we? He's not forbidding uh, the, the eating with family. But he urges us as, as to, to broaden our guest list, include those that are down and out. He calls them the poor in the text. He calls them the crippled, the lame, and the blind. These are the ones that we ought to include in acts of kindness, meals, and care for them. It ought to broaden our horizon and not to the elite, the red carpet gang, the who's who, the movers and shakers, but to see people as Jesus sees them, as God sees them, as God sees us. Now I need to ask you, when's the last time that you did some, something for someone who could not re uh, reciprocate? That you gave of yourself, you gave of your money, you gave of time, you gave of an ability you, that you have. When is the last time? I said, you can't walk away with without at least as a minimum saying, that's what the Lord is saying to me here. I mean, some of us go long periods of time and, and we just, I never even think about that. That's why I'm here. A good shepherd does that. He says, this is the text and this is what God is urging. And, it, and oftentimes, you see, it's not like new. Whenever a pastor says, here's something new, be wary of that. Often we just need to be encouraged to do what we already know in, in this. And so we ought to be looking. How, where, where can I practice random acts of kindness and look at those who are not able and include them in or maybe have them in special? And we ought, to, we ought to give some thought to that, make a note of that. Jesus wants us to do this. Why? He wants us to have a heart for people in need. That's what God is like. That's the whole redemptive story. Take a step back. That's Jesus. He didn't look down and say, well, those are red carpet people. I better go down and save them. I want them to be my friends. 
Uh-uh. He looked at us spiritually and said, they are, they are nauseating. They're spiritually crippled. They're spiritually blind. They're spiritually, they're a mess. Read it in Romans 1, 2, and 3 and discover how lame and blind and crippled and poor in spirit and poor, uh, bankrupt in spirit we are because of our sin. And so Jesus tells of the special blessing that you will receive when you do this. He says that, and you will be blessed. And this is the Lord of glory. You will be blessed if you do that. How, how am I blessed, you say? Well, by, by giving to such dear ones, we're blessed. As Jesus told, uh, we are told of his words elsewhere. I always love that. I have on your sheet Acts 20, 35, because you would expect, because there are a lot of folks that quote this. You know, it's more blessed to give than receive. But that expression never finds itself in one of the four Gospels. You would expect that. It, it finds its way there at the, uh, the Ephesian elders at Miletus in Paul's farewell address there. He said, you're never going to see my face again. And in, in the midst of that, and Luke is writing that, he wrote the book of Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke, and he says, and remember what the Lord said. He's quoting it. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, blessed implies the multiplication of happiness. You know what? You say, well, I'm not very happy. You know what you can do? It's real simple. Just give. Give. You know, if you give with the right motive, uh, it, it gets you off the get but to give, release everything you have, your next breath, your life, everything is God's. You're going to, listen, they're going to carry you out with nothing. You say, I'm going to hold on to my bag of gold. Well, you know, you won't go far with that. They'll carry you out. They're going to carry me out. Nothing. Ours, what we have is ours to use. It's not ours to keep. And any talents you have, there are people that could use that. Any, any resources that you have, how about time? We consider almost time the most precious thing. And to give time to folks. Well, I don't have time to give time. Don't ask me to give time, Pastor. I can't give time. There's not enough time. Oh, maybe you need to strip out some things. We're too busy. You know, give. You know, happy people are giving. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. I mean, if you love, you want it wants to show itself. God so loved the world that He gave. It's the most measurable, tangible evidence of love. Don't say you love and you never give. Give. That's what Jesus saying. You want to be blessed? Give. Look for those especially that cannot return the favor. Give. Make your life giving, not getting. Give, give, give. And you'll be happy. I, it's not my idea. Jesus said it. And they'll be multiplied. You, know, you can add or you can multiply. What would you rather do? You want something to grow by uh, addition or do you want it by uh, multiplication? Many times I prefer that. And so you're blessed. But more than that, if that's weren't enough, second, God will reward us in heaven. You mean, you mean I do this little thing here, even a cup of water? Is there anything less than that? God keeps the books and he remembers? Yes! We give it in the Lord's name. He, he, hey, Z, remember that day you did that? No, I don't remember. Well, I remember. And a part of the resurrection. He said, I saw that, you know, and that pleased me. 
I have a note of that. Open the book. Open the files. God keeps the books. I don't know how he does. He's omniscient, doesn't have to, but that helps me to thinking about it. And he remembers, that's verse 14, in, in saving us from our innumerable sins, God has invited us as sin, disabled, and dead to join him at his banquet table. And guess what? There's no possible way that you could ever return the favor. Hey, God, you invited me to your banquet. Hey, you're coming over to my house. Impossible. What? <laughs> I, be, I, have, I made that prepared place for you, that condo in that holy city. I mean, I made that. It's got your name on it. You know, you thought you, you, thought you had it good down there. You, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Apologies to my English teacher and to my mother. <laughs> work of salvation it pleases him it's a small picture of god's extravagant love for the blind the lame that's us the crippled spiritually and when we're kind to others we're like you know what i like that because that pictures my my redemptive love on a on a, on a plane way down here but it does, and God is pleased with that. I like that. Yeah, I know it's hard to think that anything that you and I might do that God say, hey, you see that? I, that pleases me. Because we're, we're so sinful, and we feel like, you know, it's that sin that easily besets me, and there I am. Again, oh, Lord, I just, ah, 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 ah. And, and then and, and the grace of God and the power of God and the power of the gospel making us ready for heaven, bit by bit, often two steps forward, one back, two forward, one back. Two, and then we, and we read, and you, go, you know what, I'm really pleased. Yeah, God's pleased when I do so. Uh, it just overwhelms me. But that's what the Lord is saying here. Well, to the host, he urged him to be like God and invite people that are disabled, disadvantaged, and downtrodden. But he doesn't stop there. Verses 15 to 24, now he speaks to an unnamed guest who, who's overhearing this prior conversation in verse 15 and following, and Jesus tells this unnamed guest that most of those at the table, at least at that moment, will not even be at God's great banquet. Well, that's a statement. There's a, there's a statement. You talk about, no, no one offend anybody here now. This was shocking news. Most of these people, these highfalutin, these movers and shakers, these religious Pharisees and the laws, doctors of the law, the scribes, they're not going to make it because of their self-righteousness. And, uh, and so and it must have been shocking. It's shocking. Well, then who in the world? They thought, who could be saved? If these people can't be saved, if these people are not going to be in heaven, who in the world can make it? There's hope for nobody. Shocking news to him. Well, let's look at it. A, this man overheard Jesus talking to the dinner host. It reminds us Jesus isn't whispering. You know, like, hey, come here. No, he's telling the host. He's trying to correct him on who the guest should be. And the other guys are like, we're the guest, and he doesn't want us here. And, he, you know, the Lord's not whispering. And this guy hears it, and he's going to now. And you always have people like this, right? You know, there's like... There's tension here, and they want to smooth it over. And you appreciate, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Kind of want to smooth it over and make some sort of comment. We can all agree. Well, we can all agree on this, right? Okay, then let's eat, right? Kind of thing like this, because you don't like that agitation. So he's attempting to smooth over 
uh, the comment that Jesus made talking about eating in the kingdom in heaven and all that. Oh, what a time. And oh, won't it be so great. Now let's look at the text. Look at uh, verse 15 of chapter 14. And when one of those who reclined at the table, that's the unnamed guest, uh, heard these things, that is, as Jesus was talking about to the host, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of, of God. Blessed, oh, what a great state. What an all tree is. Whoa, isn't that? We can all agree on that, right? Let's eat, right? Kind of a thing like that. I, you can see it right in the text here. Verse 16, Jesus hears this, uh, and he responds. And Jesus said to him, He's going to give a parable now. A man once gave a great banquet, invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. Let's stop there at this point. You see, the, uh, the unnamed guest who, uh, who Jesus is now talking to had an underlying assumption. The assumption he assumes is that all the Pharisees there and around the table would be present in heaven. They'd be present at God's eternal banquet. That's, the, that's what's going on here. Now, it is true that uh, everyone who is going to be at God's banquet, what a blessed thing. What a, what a great thing. I, I can't even think. I, I, you get a small idea at the best that the earth has to offer with uh, like Sarah's uh, reception or some of the wedding receptions I've had a joy to be a part of as pastor or not the pal basketball, that was kind of crude by comparison, but some of these great banquets, you know, and some of these things, we get an idea and it's going to be infinitely better and, uh, and so on. And what a blessed thing is. But this man's assumption, like, we're all going to be there. Won't it be great? It's a dangerous assumption. And you know, there are many people that assume that. There are many people. There are many people that may have been baptized as a baby, and they go like, well, I'm in, you know. Like, or maybe as an adult, or a member of a church, or maybe they're even in the pulpit, or maybe they've served in the mission field. Maybe they taught Sunday school for years. I'm a charter member. You know, there are a lot of people, and there are some that just in the street, they go like, well, I go to church twice a year, and, uh, you know, I'm as good as, I'm not Hitler. I have people say that to me, oh, I'm not Hitler, watch the thing, that's good to know. You know, I'm not Hitler, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm, I'm pretty good, you know, you measure me with the others, I, you know, so I'm sort of a nice guy, you know, and then I stand before God, God will weigh it, and hey, come on in, Joe, you're good, you're in, you're in, you know, this. people think that way. And then there are some that go like, well, I don't think there's them. But if there is a heaven, I think I'm, I'll be there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't kill anybody. I mean, I've heard all these, you've heard all this. kind. That people make false assumptions. And this man was making a false assumption. He's looking around the table. It's a who's who in his little community. He goes like, <laughs> we're all in. Won't it be great? Right, Jesus? Uh, geez, I, I got a problem with that. Oh, really? What's the problem? I thought we could. He thought they all could agree on that. So it becomes a great moment for Jesus to teach. One of those teachable moments you often hear about. And it's called the, you know, the parable of the, of the great banquet, or some call it the parable of the excuses. Um, but it was a dangerous assumption he made, and here goes the Lord. He's going to correct this. Uh, and B, Jesus responds by telling the parable, the parable of the great banquet. 
And let's, let's read, uh, pick it up at verse 16. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, invited many. And at the time, the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses, and he's going to give three. The first said to him, I bought a field, I must go out and see it. Please uh, have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. And so the servant came and reported these things to the master, his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said of his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes in the city and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. They're the same four description. Notice that as earlier. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has already been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel, circle that word, compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. That's referring to the men sitting around the table. Well, Jesus responds by telling this parable, the story of the great banquet. Now, it was the custom of that day uh, when there was a big highfalutin dinner banquet uh, to, uh, to issue two invitations uh, to the guest. Okay? It's, good. it's important for us to culturally understand that. Not too different from our day. There would be uh, several days ahead, the servant would go around, think of a village or a small city, and would go around to the various guests and say, on Saturday night, we're going to have, oh, we're going to put the dog out. I don't know where that ever came from. I guess when the, the neighbor's dog was missing, they wondered, you know, they're having a feed. I, I often wonder that. Anybody know where that, we're putting the dog out? You've heard of it though, right? Have you? I said that to someone, they said, that sounds terrible. I said, yeah, I agree. But anyway, we're having this big highfalutin thing, and, uh, and at that point, culturally, you know, it was an RSVP. You know, yes, Zabolski's two. Okay, and write it down there. Okay, Smith, three. I mean, it was RSVP. Can I, can I do an aside here? Please, people. It is so impolite today when you're invited somewhere not to RSVP. Shame on you for doing that. Your mother is blushing. And yet it is a huge problem. I go like, what? Are we totally grossly uncouth as a people anymore? Where are our social skills? Weddings, wedding reception, big... If they're going to send an RSVP and give you a stand, and, and most of the time, and I worked with these couples before, we haven't heard from half the people, we, and they, they don't know how to get a number. They want to get a number for prep. You know, you respond with regrets. No, with regrets. Or yes, we're coming, get ready, we're hungry, I don't know. Can't wait, you know, respond to that. That's, that's a part of your testimony. You know, Faith was here, she'd say it a lot at this moment, she would, but she's not a preacher. But the best sermons are on, usually come from her and our family. <laughs> Ask my boys. You tell you. Anyway, what am I talking about? RSV, oh yeah, so they get a hard number. Okay, so, and, and now that day they didn't have refrigeration. They salted and all that. But, okay, we got 150 coming. We got to go out and kill 25 sheep. 
and still stab the ox, you know, like it, it. So, I mean, that number needed to be a good number. Not like, yeah, if we show up, we'll show up. Yeah, put us for three. You know, that kind of thing. Uh-uh. They were firm numbers and, uh, and so on. So that's several days ahead. Then, okay, the animals are killed. The meat is all prepared. All this, uh, it's the day of, and the, the cooks are working, and everything's ready, and all the extra. Man, it's big time. Then they send the servants out and go tell them. It's like yelling, dinner is served. Don't you love that moment? It's great to get invites to these big, big things, you know, wedding receptions or what have you. And that's exciting. RSVA will be there, this kind of thing. But it's even more exciting, is it not? When they go announce, we were there just at Karen's wedding the other night over at the Civic Club in Harrisburg. Dinner is served. I still respond to that right away. All right, where's, my, where's this? <laughs> that's even better, right? That's what this is here. He sent them out. Dinner is served. I mean, the livestock are ready to be eaten. You can't keep it. All right, now that's the setting. Uh, and, to, and I must say, number two, to accept the first invitation was binding. I mean, to make later excuses and refuse to come was considered to be extremely rude, especially in that ancient culture. Uh, and insulting. You wanted to, like, slap the hoe straight in the face. And terrible. Well, in verse 18 to 20, Jesus told of several who refused to come by making excuses for themselves. Uh, and we saw that. Possessions, business, and family, a piece of land, five, uh, the oxen team, and, and then a man took a wife. They were all deemed to be more important than attending this feast. What could be more important uh, when we think about this in terms of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of heaven and God's banquet? Each one of these gave an excuse. They were too busy. They couldn't make it. Uh, please excuse. I mean, uh, and, and so on. And, and when we think about God's uh, banquet and, and see the greater issue here that the Lord is teaching, what could be more important? What property could be more valuable than a title to heaven? What relationship more important than your Creator and Savior? I dare say to you, none. And each guest had a different excuse. But on this they were all agreed. They would not come. No way. Too busy. Didn't matter if it was insulting. Didn't matter if the food that was prepped for them would go bad. And so Jesus is saying, this is exactly what Israel's leaders were doing to him. Jesus was now summoning them to the banquet through him, and through faith in him, that dinner is served. And they deliberately insulted him by refusing to come by faith. The master of the house is God the Father. The master became angry. Only God in his infinite holiness can entertain righteous anger and mercy and love at the same time without sin. We can't do that, can we? <laughs> we're, we're puny, small, frail, sinful, and it touches everything. To be loving and merciful and righteously anger at the same moment. And yet in his anger, his righteous anger, he had right to be angry. He exercises great mercy in inviting others to come, and many do come. And they're the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. 
And only if God of mercy and grace would invite such outcasts. And he does. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And that's us. He invites us. And yet there's still room at the table, according to Jesus' parable. There's still room at God's table for the banquet. And so he compels, he, he tells them to go out into the faraway places and compel people to come to the feast. Compel them. Compel is a strong word. Did you, did you see that in the text? Compel them to come. That my house may be filled. That's God's desire. Compel them. Compel. God is welcoming anyone. You know, anyone, who ref- anyone who does not come to salvation is not because of God. God has done everything, and he welcomes any and all to come. And if God didn't work, nobody would come. We know that. God's calling an election is sure, but it's not God's fault. People say, they'll come up with all kinds of excuses. I was too busy. I was doing really important stuff. I didn't have time. And God says, through the Lord, go out. Go out far away, please, people that don't know me. And compel them. Take them by the, by the hand and, and tell them of me and, and lead them to me. Tell them what a great host and God I am. And they'll come to know Christ the Lord as Savior. What a, what a wonderful picture this is. The only people who ever sit down at God's table are those who respond to his invitation by faith. And there's real danger, Jesus is telling us, in missing the invitation. Real danger. And finally, E, Jesus cautions people like the Pharisees in verse 20, 24, who refuse to come to him by faith will never taste heaven. Never, never sit at God's table. Never will they. Corinthians 5. It's, this really dovetails so beautifully as Paul tells the Corinthians here of our ministry of, of going out and compelling people into the highways and byways, the sick, the down and out, the outcast. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Paul writes, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's the ministry of reconciliation, and that's the ministry God has given to us, to go out and to find it down and outs, because that's what we are, in the grace of God to find folks and bring them to the feast. Why? They're, the invitation is still open. Why? There's a place at the table that's just for them, just for you. And it will be forever. We are the Mephibosheths to dine and banquet with God forever. And yet people make excuses, don't they? Excuses, excuses, excuses. Nobody will tell the Lord when he says they stand before him and never had time, never trusted him as Lord and Savior. Well, the dog ate my homework or any of that nonsense. Never happened. Oh, what a day. We said there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever in the place of fire and hell. Oh, to have the opposite, to have a place at the table. 
you know. Call me, especially call me when dinner. Look at the lessons for our life and we'll be done. On your sheet, I have, they're printed out. Number one, each of us by birth is a sinner and under judgment. We're born that way because of our sin. Each one of us are the lame, the poor, the blind, and the crippled. Check uh, Romans 3 if you think I'm kidding. Or Psalm 13, or Psalm, uh, uh, the, the Psalm 53. Yet God is calling all of us alike to come by faith to trust in Jesus and be saved from our sin. Come to the banquet that will never end. Have you received Jesus? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Have you done that? You can do that today, in a moment, in an instant. Come to know Christ. What? There's the invite. It's uh, Jesus making his invite through me, through my words. Come, he's saying, come. Knowledge your sinfulness. Come to understand the love of God in Christ at Calvary and receive to those who receive him. He gave the power to be the sons of God. Number two, resist the temptation to make excuses. Oh, we're good at that. We've had a lot of practice, let's face it, right? <laughs> I keep a few in reserve just in case I need it, you might say, right? We're so good. Resist that. Loathe your sinful ability to justify your sinful behavior. A large part of our human dignity, have you ever thought of it this way, is that God holds us responsible and accountable for the things we do or the things we don't do. Sins of omission, sins of commission. I mean, that uh, if we were nothing, he would never hold us accountable. But the fact that there is a day of reckoning and a day of accountability shows, oh, there must be intrinsic worth here. Oh, that's right. You're made in God's image. You're priceless. Number three, be, be like our generous God and reach out to those that have no ability to return the kindness. I'm telling you, you'll be happy. You will be happy. Just hold on to everything you have like this and be afraid everyone's going to take it from you. I mean, it'll all go anyway someday. But just live this way. You'd be about the most unhappiest person we probably know. Just, just be generous. Generous with your words. Generous with your time. Generous with your check. Gener and you'll find there'll be an air of joy. Hey, this is exciting. God's using me. I'm being a blessing to people. Live that way. I have to say it so many times because the whole culture is me, myself, and I, you know? And I have to just hit it repeatedly, speak it to myself as well because we swim in a culture that is muddy, like a muddy stream. Be generous. Give to people that have no sense of ability for any return kindness. Do it. How do I do it? Random acts of kindness. Just random. You see a need, just step in and meet the need. Do something. Don't look for what's in it for me. Okay? This is the exact opposite. Share a meal. Give something. Remember, the Lord sees and will reward you. He keeps the books. Our, our project of the month is an example. I say, well, can I? the table on the back with crises, pregnancies, these gals have these babies, and we, we want to take a strong stand against abortion and the killing. And we've got to help these young ladies and these families. And that's a very tangible, very uh, unselfish. 
That's an example right there. Look around. Number four, Jesus tells us that we need to be those who seek people for the kingdom. Are you, are you seeking folks? Are you compelling them? Or are you repelling them? You put that mosquito repellent on, right? You go outside and you keep the mosquito. Are you a repellent of the gospel? I hope not. I hope not. I don't know what you got, but I don't want anything to do with it. No, compel them, urge them, share with them by life and by voice, you know. And uh, God, just imagine if God should use you. And what a, what a lifelong friend. Mark mentioned that during the announcement. You know, the, the family of God. That's someone that you should introduce to the Lord Jesus you know, we assume people know the gospel. They don't know the gospel. They don't know Jesus. They don't know their Bible. Even people that go to church don't know their Bible. Like maybe they once did, more so in years gone by, they need to know Jesus. Persuade them to come. Take them by the arm. Lead them to the Lord gently, lovingly. Love them all the way to the foot of the cross. Number five and last, and God desires that his house be full. Do, do you notice in the parable that the, the, the God's banquet's going on right at time? I mean, there are some there that, that aren't going to be at the banquet. He thought all those would be at the banquet. No. But those chairs are going to be filled. And it's God's desire to fill his Banquet house, the generosity of God, that any that respond uh, in faith that Lord Jesus Christ will be at the table. And the only question is, do you have your reservation? That's a good, that's a good, uh, everyone knows what that is in our call. You can ask people, that's a good bridge for the gospel. Hey, do you have your reservation? No, what, did I miss something? You know, just bridge right into it, those little bridges. Yeah, the, the, the door is open. God's going to have a banquet there, and he invites you to come, and it's all paid for. Come. Well, well, who is it? What kind of God is this like? Come to our Bible study. Come to our church, our pastor, or come to one of the elders. We'll teach you about the Lord. Oh, man, come. And you know what? As you fish, God will give you some. He will, I promise you. But we are so good at excuses. What? You think I was born yesterday? No. God help us. What a wonderful, what a wonderful admonition there at that banquet. Praise God. Well, now about ready. Are you ready to eat lunch? If he says banquet one more time, my stomach's going to growl again. Ron, you're going to make it? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Lord, use us. We just want to be a blessing. We want to incarnate the gospel that people see the love of Jesus in us. Forgive us, Lord, we're a sinful people. And thank you for the righteousness that comes by faith that saves us. And thank you that the power of the gospel works in us and gives us a heart for people, Lord. In humility, we look at all others, even folks that have nothing to offer. And use us, Lord, to reach people of all kinds of varieties, using whatever you have given us for such a short time, this thing called life. We look forward to spending in the banquet, the dinner, forever in your house. Thank you, thank you, thank you for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you stand and sing as the dear...